Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. On today's show, I am joined by guest Jimmy Rose, founder of Content Snare. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Jonathan, really, really good to be here. So Jimmy and I met uh, when I came on his podcast, Agency Highway, and that was a fun talk. And then after we finished that, I, you know, we sort of got to chatting about uh, Jimmy coming on to Ditching Hourly to talk about how he validated the idea for his product. Uh, there are I have a lot of conversations with students who are thinking about building a SaaS, you know, because I have tons of uh, software development people because my background's in software development. And a lot of times when they're thinking about, oh, I got to get away from this client rat race and this hourly billing is driving me crazy. One of the ideas that they often have, it's like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll build a tool. I'll scratch my own itch. Uh, I, I will build it and they will come. And that makes me pretty nervous in most cases, unless there's like some kind of obvious market opening or they've got some kind of unfair advantage in this space. It makes me nervous, but still, uh, sometimes people really want to do it. Sometimes I agree that it's not insanely risky, but one of the things I, I recommend they do first is make sure that they can reach the audience. How do you validate the idea of the product before putting six months of your life into it? Uh, so that's the theme for today. So if you're interested in maybe starting a SaaS product, uh, then stay tuned. Uh, let's start here. Jimmy, can you tell us first what Content Snare is? Yeah, so uh, it's generally aimed at marketing agencies and web designers, and it helps them get content from clients. So in agency land, uh, it's a massive problem that holds up loads of projects when you you know you sign a client up, they pay the deposit, they've agreed to you know, sign up, build a website, whatever, uh, could be a marketing campaign. And then you hit them with this request for information uh, that they need to provide you uh, so that you can actually do the job that they're paying you to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And often the projects stall out there, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. Um, and we actually used to run an agency as well. And, uh, you know, like you were kind of mentioning there in the intro, uh, <laughs> you know, that SaaS is often a good way to get away from the hourly billing. And that's definitely what was going on in my mind. But yeah, so that was one of the big frustrations in our agency. And, um, and it turns out it was for other people as well. And that's, so what, that's what we help them with. Cool. So uh, let's, uh, I've got a bunch of questions already. So first, how is it different than, I don't know, um, Dropbox or Basecamp or yep. what are the, what are the differences there? Yeah, cool. So uh, there's two different things there. So Basecamp and project management systems. I'll tackle that one first. So that one, I, so the, the biggest competitors I say we have are project management systems for one. And then number two is like Google Drive and email or Dropbox and email. So project management systems, generally the big uh, thing that people struggle with there is clients don't want to use them. So if you invite your client into you know, a, a system that they haven't used before. And obviously this applies to content snare as well, but I'll get to that. Um, but like, if they have to remember a password, like even that you'd be surprised how <laughs> much yeah. of a barrier that is for clients who are non-technical, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's something we run into all the time. Like people are like, I can't get them to use such and such. Yeah. And it's just the way it is, right? Like asking clients to learn another system, they're just going to throw their hands in the air and say, no. Yeah. Can't I just um, email you? Yeah, exactly right. Any system you use that has any level of friction, they will default back to email. That's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why Content Snare, like we spent so much time making the user interface 
dead simple. So we get feedback now, like just for reference there, like we used to have a bit of problem with churn um, where um, I guess if people aren't familiar with that term, just the people that are leaving our service each month Mm -hmm. um, and the common feedback was couldn't get my clients to use it. And we did like this 12 month development, just making the client user interface. It's like, we spent four hours looking at the text that was on two buttons just to go like, can it could be misconstrued what these buttons do? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so we just went through so many different bits of text and whatever. So like, just so that it's so easy that they can't screw it up basically um, for this reason, because they have to click a link in an email that for the, to submit their content and they have to know exactly what to do every step of the way. And since we put that, um, uh, new user interface in the churn has dropped to almost nothing and we get like constant good feedback. So it, that's when we really realized we were onto something. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to quickly touch on the other thing there, like Google drive, Dropbox, whatever email. So if you have, if you're using Dropbox or Google drive, there's going to be some other part of it. So, you know, obviously email, you have to follow them up if they haven't put the things in Dropbox, if they've put something in Dropbox and it's not the right thing, you have to email them and refer to which file is wrong and why. And then they have to go in there and pull that one out and, you know, and they'll probably delete the wrong thing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? So you end up with these massive email trails on the side of these other systems anyway. Um, and like version control, I guess, of like, which, you know, if they put three of the same thing in there, which one's the right one, (laughs) it's, it all ends up pretty much taking just as much time with these shared blue chair, final dot triple final. No, seriously, (laughs) this is the last one dot PDF classic. Yeah. Right. And, and Google docs is the same, right? If you give someone a document, there's just so much free range there that they start highlighting random bits and going, Oh, like please link this page to this text, uh, sorry, this text to this page. And it just becomes a, a mess as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that sounds like you found a sort of, uh, some white space in between, I guess I would call them the obvious choices. Uh, but you know, it's yeah. not an ad for content snare. What we really want to find out is how did you validate the idea in the first place? So th- did you do any testing or was it just like, oh, we have this problem, therefore other people must have this problem? Or did you, like, what'd you do? Yeah, so we validated the hell out of it. And actually, um, when you were in- introing me <laughs> before and talking about people in your audience that want to go and build something and just because it's like a scratch your own itch thing, I, yeah, I get really nervous around that kind of thing as well. And I've, this is, not my first software product. So I've been through the process and probably validated things even heavier each time we've done it. Um, so I guess that's come with experience, but, um, yeah, like there was no way I was going to build anything without first proving that people wanted it just because it's so much investment to build a software product. And I see so many people that go through the motion, like you said, you know, go and build the thing and then build it and they will come and then they don't come <laughs> for whatever reason. Oh, I've done it half a dozen times myself. Oh, Just yeah. like back in the day. Yeah. It's like, oh, software is all powerful. And, you know, I, I, I the same thing. It's like, oh, this is, and here's the thing, like I, maybe other people had the same itch as me, but for whatever reason it in my messaging or the connection, uh, you know, they didn't connect like, mm. and, and I never, ever once with any of them had any kind of marketing plan for crying out loud. It was always just like, <laughs> I'll just make the website kind of cool and it, it, I'll tweet about it and it'll just, yeah. and hands will wave, magic will happen. And 
I won't have to be billed by the hour or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. never, never worked. Never worked. Well, and sometimes it's just the fact that they don't want to pay for it. Right. So True. it might not be a big enough problem that, yeah, they, they might complain about it, but it might not be big enough that they're actually willing to fork out cash for it. And then how much of cash they're going to be willing mm-hmm. to part with. And that's part of the validation process. Right. So, um, that so the first thing this time for me was uh literally threw up a landing page and uh i think it was in about a day like i bought the domain and i bought the landing page and i said what it was going to do we we had planned out a bit of an idea of what we thought the software was going to do Mm -hmm. um just so we could you know highlight the problem dig into the problem a bit on the landing page and then have a sign up right so it was like when we when we launch this um you'll get notified kind of thing Mm-hmm. And uh, in the early days, it was just a matter of, so, so sorry, I, I really need to back up here. Before I even did that, I interviewed people. And I think this, is, this was the best part of the whole thing because I interviewed maybe 15 web designers, 20 web designers locally and um, through like um, online forums, like I'm in some paid communities. And I just did a shout out and said, hey, I've got this cool idea. Well, I've got this idea for web designers um, to save a bunch of time. And I'm just interested to speak to a few people and and see if it's actually a problem for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, surprisingly, people took me up on that. Uh, You know, I I always thought that people would be a bit, you know, wouldn't want to talk to me or whatever, but they did. And those conversations were amazing because the big thing that I learned uh, from, I guess, other people, sources of information like i didn't come up with this uh, this strategy is when you talk to people and find out about their problems don't like seed your idea into their mind mm-hmm. actually just say like what are the biggest problems and i and i was getting them to step through their business right and go yeah. um you know from the client onboarding all the way through to um offloading a project and, and sending them on their way or whatever it is uh and you know almost all of them at some point spoke about content, collecting content being a really big pain. So that was the start, right? Even without me seeding the idea, they would talk about it. And once they had, and once I'd got an idea of what all their pains were, then I circled back and we dug into content specifically, because obviously that's what I was trying to um, talk about. You know, actually in, in the first few interviews, I didn't actually have an idea for content collection at all. I wanted to build a tool for briefing, uh, to improve the briefing process at the beginning of a project. And it just mm. got turned on its head pretty quickly after like four people spoke about content. And I was like, yeah, actually that's a big problem. Oh, I like the story even better now. So like, yeah. so like just to underscore that you had yeah. an idea, you knew the target market, you interviewed them and they were like, uh, no, we need this. Well, I so yeah, they didn't even really say no. Cause I hadn't actually told them my idea yet (laughs) and I didn't need to because they all spoke about content. So it flipped on its head like really quickly. Uh, I guess it's still part of that client onboarding phase. So it wasn't hugely different, but yeah, it um, very quickly, they just, I I saw that content was a bigger problem than what I was trying to solve uh, before. That's awesome. Okay. And then from those, from those interviews, how much of that, you know, made it into your marketing or made it into the product? Yeah. And that is exactly why that part was so awesome is the words that those people used was essentially what I wrote on the landing page. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because the 
landing page was so easy to write when you've got the actual pain and frustrations in their exact words from your exact audience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, that's how much it, like the whole landing page at first was basically their language as well as any emails that I wrote, you know, so obviously you have to take a you know pretty serious amount of notes, record those calls if you can, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing them on zoom or whatever, like back then I actually did a lot of them in person. So it wasn't, you know, I feel like, zoom you probably got a benefit there because you can record them and get them transcribed yes yeah it's important to use the exact language if you if you try to abstract it into a general category of problem it loses all of its punch there's something you can when you read i can you know i I do website sales page teardowns all the time and i can tell when i'm reading real pains and when Mm -hmm. i'm reading made up pains you there's just something (laughs) about it that you're like oh that it's almost like they're almost like a joke. Like they surprise you in a way you're like, Oh, I wouldn't have even thought to put it like that. Or I wouldn't have even thought of that particular problem or that, yeah. that particular expression of the underlying issue. So like a symptom of disorganization. It's like, you know, it's just wild. It's like, I find software developers. I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's common to the category, but certainly it was it, it, when I was doing software development all the time, full time, it was like my natural reaction to encountering any kind of business object like in my work to try and abstract it because it gives you more flexibility. But mm-hmm. if you do that in your marketing, it's a disaster because no one can connect the dots between like, they just don't feel the connection between the the underlying problem you're talking about and the symptom that they are experiencing the thing that's keeping them up nights. Like they're not going to connect the dots. They They're like, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how much how much uh, messaging and marketing is a person exposed to in a given day? You know, there there needs something needs to jump out and grab them by the shirt and say, "Hey, you've got this pain, don't you?" <laughs> and using their exact words is the way to do it. Yeah, and it makes it so much easier for someone like me uh, who's not really, you know, I've learned marketing over the years, but I feel like I'm coming from from engineering, right? That's my background. And I feel like I had to, it took me about seven or eight years to unlearn uh, feature-based selling, which oh, is yeah. what I wanted as an engineer mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and to learn, you know, copywriting as it is now, as we do now, which is definitely not perfect. But uh, when you're reflecting people's language, it's so much easier because you're just using what they said and then his how we fix it, you know? Right. And here's, and here's just, how to know. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go for it. Yeah. So just to the listener, if you're, if you're sitting there and you want to make a landing page and you're like, what should I write? No matter how hard you think about it, you're not going to come up with the answer. The answer is to go ask someone what you should write, <laughs> but, you know, not, not in so many words, but like do these interviews, find out what the real pains are, and then just put what they said on the page. And, and it's going to be way more effective than anything you dream up in your head. Yeah. And this, this is a process that's still going on with us. You know, I have, uh, whether it's testimonial sort of case study interviews or, um, you know, I try to speak with clients all the time for general, whatever reason I can manage basically to see if they're liking the software. If, if someone gives us a bad, uh, NPS rating, then, which is just like a zero to 10 score, how how likely they would be to refer it to someone else. If they give us, you know, like a five or less, I'm probably going to try and jump on a call with them, find out what's going on. And all of the language that people use in these conversations is what gets reflected back into everything. And, you know, we engaged a copywriter to redo our homepage, which isn't live yet, but 
the first thing she asked for was customer interviews. <laughs> so I had to do like five or six more, you know, jumping on zoom and got them transcribed for her. And, and then she turned it into this awesome, awesome homepage. So even, you know, that's what professional copywriters are doing as well. Yeah. Okay. So let's get back to the timeline. So you did all the mm. interviews, you stood up uh, a, a sort of pre-sale, keep me posted page. What happened next? Yeah. So it became a kind of standard audience building thing. And I guess that standard, <laughs> we can dig into this a lot, but the reason I wanted to build some kind of email list is I'd been in business for quite a while at this point and seen the power of having an audience before a product. So I know uh, a couple of people locally here that for years just had a social following. They just shared things that and built this audience in, in like the health space, I guess. Um, and they didn't have a business for a long time. They were trying all these different things and it wasn't working until one day, one day they basically just asked the audience what they wanted, built it. And then they, now they have like a really kick-ass business. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Yeah. Right. Um, and so the whole time we've always been doing this like product, you know, come up with a product idea and then try to sell it. But this time I was like, well, we've got the idea, but why don't we actually just build an audience right away? Right. So mm -hmm. it wasn't just a landing page. We had a blog, a, a part of it. And because I was in agency space myself, I was kind of just giving away things that I'd learned in eight, you know, writing blog posts about, I don't know, whatever it's project management was one and like hiring a project manager or hiring virtual assistants, you know, just things that we struggled with through our agency journey that I thought were going to be helpful for other agencies mm -hmm. and we'll share that content. Right. So at the time it was pretty much sharing it in Facebook groups. Now I think it's a little bit harder to do that. Like you have to actually build relationships with people in groups. You can't just show up and, and throw a, throw in a, um, a blog post cause you're going to get shunned pretty quickly now. Cause a lot of people right. try to do that in Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was actually a part of it was building relationships with people that ran these groups and, and, you know, maybe going, seeing if I could go on their podcasts, uh, you know, and talking about my agency journey and what we were doing now. So yeah, it was really just a matter of trying to get people back to our site in one way or another through content, um, you know, and, and where audiences already were. So podcasts and Facebook groups and maybe other blogs or, you know, doing guest blogs that the guest blogs weren't a very good source of uh, actual traffic and signups, but just whatever we could to get people back. You know, so, sometimes that means things like product hunt for some people, like we didn't have a product to launch yet. So so product hunt didn't do a lot. Beta list was okay. You know, so we were just going to places where people look for things and then trying to get them back to our site. And we didn't build up a huge email list. I think it was about 400 uh, when we sent out our first pre-launch email, which was the next stage in this is to, you know, I mentioned before that sometimes people just aren't willing to fork out cash for something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most critical step in all of this because you know if you just ask people oh is this a good idea do you think this is a good idea would you pay for this people don't want to hurt your feelings and they're yep. just going to say yes <laughs> mm -hmm. yes most uh, people are polite <laughs> yeah right uh and i see it so much and it actually you know it's almost what you're talking about in the intro where it's just you find it concerning because it is people it's concerning that people are going to waste all this time that on something that is never going to go anywhere because they haven't got the right feedback from people. Um, it's so hard to get 
good real feedback from anyone because they don't want to hurt your feelings Mm -hmm. and they'll just tell you it's nice even though that's way more damaging in the long run yeah yeah it's almost like you're better off saying hey i saw this new like not telling me you're part of it hey i saw this new thing what do you think and they'd be like ah uh, why not just use Dropbox? <laughs> okay. Right. That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that anymore because people know that it's right. our product. But right. I always try to ask people to be brutal. I explicitly say, you are not going to hurt my feelings. We need brutal feedback. Please yes. do not hold back. You know, yes. Every single time I say the same thing, basically. Yes. Um, but the biggest vote of all, or the biggest feedback, best feedback you can get is if someone will actually pay for it. So if you put up a pre-launch page and this is what we did. Um, we sent out an email. I think we had two design mock-ups at the time. It was like the dashboard page and what your clients would see, something like that. Mm-hmm. It was very basic. You know, it looked good, but it was basic and it didn't actually work. They were just pitches. Yep. So we sent those out in a blog post and said, this is what we're going to build. And I think it wasn't a huge cost to it. You know, it was going to be like 60 bucks or something for six months or a year. In hindsight, I should have done a higher price point on it, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the end, it was a lot of um, smaller freelancers. We had sign up when our, I guess we were sort of aiming for smaller agencies. Right. Um, yeah, but you know, it, it you know, it's fine now. It's it's come around, but that price point was still uh, people still had to get out their wallet and get out their credit card and pay for that on the internet to say that yes, this is a problem that I want a solution to. Right. So yeah, we haven't validated the product itself yet, but at least we're validating the pain. Right. And, you know, we, I think I did 25 copies. I didn't want to go too many and they sold out within like two hours or something. And then I had a few people email me to ask if they could get in. And so to sell 25, 30 copies or 400 people in an hour, I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe we're onto something. Yeah, <laughs> that's very positive. So, so let's get a little bit, I'm curious how long from when you posted the initial page online and started blogging and all of that, how long do you think it was before you did this, where you posted the dashboard and the, the client view? Are we talking yeah, like I six th- months or six weeks? Not quite. It would have been, I think three to four months. I need to go back and look at my timeline, but yeah, it wasn't that long. So we, the landing page went up in uh, November, 2016 from an Airbnb in Denver. Like I knocked it up on (laughs) like a Genesis theme while I was hanging out with some of my entrepreneur friends right before Brian Clark's um, digital commerce event (laughs) um, (laughs) where he got cake to play for us, by the way. That was just awesome. Yeah, I was like, there's like a hundred of us in a room and Cake's playing for us. That's so cool. cool. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was. Um, And then, um, yeah, so that's when I started blogging and and doing all the things I spoke about before. I think the pre-launch went out in like February or March and the product was ready for beta testers in like May, Mm -hmm. late May. So the whole process was six to seven months, but um, you know, pretty quickly, three, three to four months in, actually three months in, we'd actually started to get some real feedback from people and um, the actual monetary commitment, which is why we continued, right? So if, if that didn't work, if you got no buy-in, that's, you can can it at that point, mm-hmm. give everyone their money back if there's only like five signups or something yep. uh, and, and just move on. And then you haven't wasted all that time. But yeah, that's, that was kind of our go forward point from there. Yeah. And you still got four or 500 people on a mailing list who are from agencies that care about something. They're going to care about yeah, something. That's it. And so how much, how much I'm curious, uh, 
how you started just at what point you decided to start writing code and did you write it or you yeah, i know you have a co-founder mm -hmm. like at what point did you decide to start going beyond pretty pictures and actually building it and then because here's here's what i'm imagining i'm imagining with all of this backstory and all of this research that you did that you could create a bunch of mock-ups relatively quickly with a high degree of confidence and not have to iterate too much and say you know either you build it or or mark just like bang this out instead of like having these design meetings while you're building yeah so that's one thing i even when we were building big projects for clients we would always do the designs first right mm -hmm. um because it's so easy to just give that to a design a developer and get it done right i mm -hmm. think um it's really important to get that ux component sorted first and we had a you know a good ux designer that we'd worked with on client projects before but um yeah that the the whole especially because we're targeting agencies and designers you know it actually needed to look yeah, good true. as well as be functional um sometimes you can get away without that for sure like our last product looked like trash but uh, it, it did the job um but look i i'm gonna be very honest here and say that we did start writing code before we should have <laughs> i think <laughs> we were something. writing in yeah, you know, and we were a development agency, so we had that ability. I think it's kind of fun to start playing around with things anyway, even if it's not that serious yet. You know, it's not our full-time gig. We're just trying to piece things together and see how it's going to work and see how it's going to look. So, yeah, we had started building a little bit um, early on, but we didn't really ramp up until those uh, pre-orders came in, you know, but we had developers on our books already. Uh, my, you know, I'm used to be a developer, my business partner, you know, is an amazing developer. So we had those resources there already. He wasn't working on it in the beginning cause we still had client projects. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so we just got our, some of our developers to work on it part-time really. Cool. All right, great. So then, uh, at what point did you feel like you hit the next level? Ooh, um, <laughs> There's been a, a f maybe only recently, like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess when we first launched it, it was, um, we got that initial growth, right. And it actually looked really good. Uh, I think, uh, a pretty good benchmark for SAS is like 10% growth a month. We got this initial launch and obviously using uh, scarcity always works. So if you have some cheap price, you may be a 50% off, like, you know, really significant discount at the beginning and you, this is only available for the first two weeks or something. And you send out a few emails in the lead up to that, uh, to the deadline. That's it, scarcity is by far the biggest <laughs> seller that I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think the the second biggest uh, jump in signups we've had is when we increased our pricing, you know, after a couple of when years, you increased your pricing. Well, yeah, because there was a deadline before we increased it and we said we'd grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. There you go. So that makes sense. So uh, I guess I guess a more specific question would be, at what point were you sure that this was a going concern? As in the, the problem well, itself? Uh, no, that you were like, oh, wow, this is going to work. Like this is going to be worth sticking with. Was it after that first launch or was it still a little bit later? Oh, no. I think that happened in... Um maybe now, like last month. 
<laughs> so and a few we years, a few years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what happened is we got this initial growth spurt uh, and we were doing fairly well for maybe a year or something. And then it kind of got really flat. Like we were talking like 2% growth a month, which is yeah. just not enough mm-hmm. um, for a small you know, business just starting out. And it, that sat like that for probably a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the event that I spoke about before when we uh, drastically revamped the client interface. So those complaints from clients started going away and our clients, our customers then kept hanging around. Yeah, churn went um, down. Yep. Yeah, so you can look at the growth trajectory and there's a, like a very marked like a gradient change in the in the growth our growth mm. right uh, when that happens and that was in november last year and then obviously covid hit so we had three months of flat and and now that sort of i guess everyone's over it covid's not done <laughs> but everyone's over it <laughs> yeah. and, and the growth is is going back on that trajectory from from last november and mm-hmm. so that's that was actually our goal in about december we said if we can't show um month-on-month growth um, of you know more than what we're seeing now, then we need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And now the decision, like everything has changed in the last six months. So I think that that's what I would say. It's only, it's been about, uh, yeah, three years before mm-hmm. we got to that point. Mm. Okay. So, and, and, you know, you're doing lots of other things at the same time, at, le- at least content marketing wise. So what mm-hmm. is your, what is your, uh, what does a typical day look like and how, or a week maybe, and how much of it is devoted to content snare versus other things that are maybe not as not specifically for that. Mm. Yeah. So, um, like most entrepreneurs, I suffer from shiny object syndrome <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'm definitely not unique there. I think it's pretty common. Most, most, uh, entrepreneurs and business owners always want to do a hundred things. And I've been really bad at controlling that in the past. So I've mm-hmm. kind of put my foot down and, started stripping away other things as much as possible Uh, so our client work now we are not taking on other clients like we've just put i think about a year ago we stopped and we had um two projects that were continuing and one has one of those is finished and one of those is just like a, a you know monthly retainer kind of gig and it helps us fund content snare a bit um so we can hire more people um you know past where content snare revenue is just to try and grow it faster yep uh, but yeah, so these days it's probably going to be around 80%. Um, the other 20% goes into, I mean, it's hard to say cause, uh, I build, I create a lot of content around productivity and automation, uh, just because I want to build an audience. Like I was saying before, the importance of having an audience for whatever you want to do is important because you can right. create businesses off the back of that, you know, like one day, maybe content snare will get sold. So having that. Uh, you know, we don't actually plan on that, but um, you know, maybe it will happen. And then if we sell the audience with it, then it's starting from scratch, but at least if yeah. I had an audience, so that's why there's uh 20% there. Uh, but at the same time that, that audience, you know, if people are into productivity and automation and they run a service-based business, they're actually potential clients for content snare anyway. So it definitely feeds into it. So, you know, everything still kind of feeds into content snare. I have my podcast, for digital agencies and web designers, uh, you know, that's yep. not directly content snare, but there's a content snare ad in every single episode. So. Right. Right. And it's the same, it's the same audience. Yeah. I yeah, think I read right. recently that, um, you know, uh, 37 signals when they were starting Basecamp, they did, they were still doing client work until they were doing a, like a million dollars a, 
a year or something. I, they were wow. they hit seven figures or something with Basecamp before they stopped doing client work. It was something like that. It was like a much longer period of time um, that than I expected. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's, you know, the story here, I think the takeaway here for the dear listener is it's not, it's the odds of this happening overnight are just like comically low. Like it's just not even realistic. I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. Like people, mm. um, people are just like swamped with lots of different things to decide between, you know, there's like lots of people trying to get wallet share and you really have to, even if you're, even if your thing is, is or would deliver tons of value, they need to believe that before they're going to pull their wallet out. They need to hear about it from somebody else. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's really uh, it's it's much more. I guess what I'm trying to say is the marketing piece is probably more important than the software piece, which I know is going to make a bunch of people's heads explode listening to this. <laughs> but a lot of people can do the development piece. A lot of people can build the product, but connecting with the audience, building the audience, and connecting with them, connecting, creating the value proposition, and building the trust. That's way harder. It's oh, very, yeah. very hard. It takes a long time. People don't just, you know, you don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, nice to meet you. What should we name the kids? Like it takes time. <laughs> you have to like let it spin out over time, build up trust. And I mean, even I'm thinking of a, a recent, cause I, I interviewed uh, Paul Jarvis, who nice. recently, I guess it was not one that recent, but uh, interviewed him about the same sort of conversation we're having, which is about how did he validate the idea for Fathom Analytics and, you know, he just tweeted like, like, Hey, what would you think about like a privacy oriented analytics platform? And <laughs> he got like a thousand retweets or a thousand likes or whatever. And he's like, Oh, okay. And did exactly, you know, similar. I don't know if he did. I don't remember him saying he did interviews. I think he did interact with people on Twitter for a certain extent. Uh, but then he just mocked up the interface. He's like, this is what it, this is. I think this is what the homepage would look like. He just like ripped open sketch, created some, you know, pretty pictures and, same, you know, put up a pre-order page yeah. or a, a tell me when it's ready page. And he just did those. He basically did as little as possible at each stage to validate the, um, or to justify the next level of time investment that would be required to get it to the next level. So at every point he made sure that he still had people that were interested. And also to your point, he's got a huge mailing list. He's got a really big audience and mm -hmm. he basically reached out to him and said, Hey, I feel like, you know, I have this, he, he was bummed that there was no privacy focused analytics platform, but he didn't just run and build it. And I mean, it's, it's gotta be two years by now. And I think, you know, he's, he's feeling like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, it's a real thing. It's like, it takes up a large portion of his time now, I, you know, according to his uh, email on Sunday, I'm on his mailing list. So nice. Yeah. So it just, it, it's like, if you imagine, so to bring it all the way back to the beginning, if folks are thinking about like, oh, I'm sick of client work. I'm sick of billing by the hour. Uh, I'm going to build a SaaS. It's like, okay, well maybe in three years you'll be replacing your client income from it. I mean, do you feel like that's, I, I don't have actually stats on it, but, I, but from talking to people, uh, I mean, I know lots of people that have built it and no one came. I know lots of people who have built something and, and ended up in this horrible no man's land where they're making like 500 bucks a month yeah where they've got like four customers or something and then it's like it's like like partially validated maybe yeah <laughs> and then people who who it really turns into a real thing they're like to get it to that level it's it's years it's years yeah. like 
I mean, there's a there's a thousand day principle. I can't remember who uh, coins that, but it's basically that it takes a thousand days to replace your full time income when leaving. Uh, you know, building a business from a full thousand days of full time work to replace your full time income, basically. And mm-hmm. I think it kind of applies to building any new business, and absolutely included on this one. And you know, like you kind of mentioned there that it, about like marketing and how difficult it is, and uh, you know, like w- we've been in that position for a long time not i wouldn't say you know we've got like four customers and we need to make a decision but we were looking at that growth and going well you know maybe even though we had this like crazy hype at the start like everyone was like oh my god i can't wait for this product and like again we just got so much feedback and we did all the right things we had that initial um you know pre-launch where people actually paid for it maybe i didn't ask for enough money but then you know we thought we'd done all the right things and then growth was still so low but mm. it turns out in that case it was just it actually was a product problem yeah um, so that it just turns into like you know yeah there's marketing as well but um you know it's just been this like constant dance of like working on the product and working on marketing and like slowly <laughs> building it up and and now it you know we can see sign up you know new signups every day and very little churn and it's like oh yeah now we're good <laughs> it's <laughs> taken three years to get to that point you know and we've I wouldn't say we've replaced all our client income um, because we, we had some pretty serious clients towards the end, but mm-hmm. um, you know, where it is right now is very comfortable and um, you know, the trajectory is good. So yeah, it's taken three years. <laughs> yeah. I, that's funny that I've never heard that thousand day thing before, but that is, that is, I mean, just thinking back, like without looking at my calendar, I'd say that's pretty close to exactly right for, um, for any pivot I've done in the past where it takes like, uh, if, if whenever I've done like a serious pivot, it's like, it is about a thousand days of, mm. of like a lot of work. And then you're like, Oh, now I'm like where I was, but now I'm doing a new thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, a, and hopefully ideally, at least in my case, I, and, and I'm going to guess with you too, it's a lifestyle change. You know, you're like, I I don't like this lifestyle anymore. This client stuff. I just don't like it anymore. I want a different kind of lifestyle that's uh, less got a, got a longer leash. Let's say, you know, lots, lots, lots of little customers instead of three giant ones. Um, So, and it's, it's easier then to have someone else like to outsource support, um, you know, and have someone else handling all those clients, you know, I guess that's what wore me down about client work is having to be so hands-on with, yes. with clients. Whereas mm-hmm. like the support, I am a big fan of holding on to support for as long as possible. It's one of those like uh, controversial opinion type things, I guess that I hold. Cause a lot of SaaS people say do support as long as possible, but the, the amount of, sorry, they say get rid of support as soon as you can. I'm the opposite. I say, hold on to it because you get some of the best feedback and you get, you, you've got your finger on the pulse when you, mm-hmm. when you handle support yourself. I only, we only, stopped doing support about two months ago mm. yeah. yeah yeah there's i i agree with that yeah it's it's been one of the better decisions i've made i think it's how we get the feedback and how we come up with the ideas to to make the product better mm. yeah and do you, i guess that's a that'd be a good place to kind of wrap up is um do you do you how much of your future product roadmap to the extent that there is one it it does it come straight from from what people say they want or what you think they should want? (laughs) There's definitely a middle ground. Mm -hmm. So we don't go and have like a feature voting system that a lot of these 
a lot of products do. Like a lot of people think they need one. And I mean, through other people's advice, like startups for the rest of us is a podcast I've listened to for a long time mm-hmm. and, and other startup podcasts. Generally the advice I hear is like, don't allow people to type in exactly what feature they want <laughs> and then vote on it because uh, sometimes people just vote for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, so the only uh, roadmap we build is from what people are trying to achieve on support. They met, they write something in and they, they might, they can't work something out. Something might be a little bit too difficult for them. And so we might come up with a feature to, and if we notice a lot of people are struggling with the same thing, then we'll come up with a feature to fix that. Sometimes it's a direct, you know, feature request like, Oh, I want conditional logic on, Mm -hmm. on our content forms, which, you know, that's fairly simple. Most, uh, um, forms tools have that. So that makes sense. We know how to build that. Uh, so that's, but there's no formal system where people can go and vote and that's intentional. Mm-hmm. We actually want to talk to people about each feature and, and get their, you know, what they're trying to achieve before we go and just design a feature because a bunch of people asked for it. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I like that. I like that middle ground. I mean, I know as a user of, of a couple of different sites, I'm thinking of drip specifically because I'm, they've, they're moving into a new space and I'm no longer like in their target market. So for them mm-hmm. to, for them to listen to a thing I have to say, <laughs> if I was requesting features, I'd be trying to pull the product in the wrong direction. And, yeah. you know, and they're slowly making changes that eventually people like me are going to leave and go somewhere else. And that's totally, it's clearly intentional. So I do like that. I do like that. You've sort of got one foot on each side of the fence where, you know, people are, you know, you're like, yeah, you, I want to listen and I want to make people's lives easier. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not going to pull the product in, into like, I don't know, more of a project management thing or whatever, in a direction that you don't want to go. Yeah. And you will get all kinds of features like that. People will request everything. <laughs> Absolutely everything. Yeah. yeah. We've definitely been asked for project management style features, you know, and we don't want to be, you know, I'm not going to compete with click up or teamwork or something right yeah um so yeah there's no absolutely no way and i'm a believer in uh you know master of what you do rather than jack of all trades so and i've seen i can see products that have that like public roadmap public voting getting pulled in so many directions and it becomes just this mess so yeah. fast yeah and i don't want to be that mm-hmm yeah, I, I like the I like the opinionated thing a little a little bit better. Yeah, um, but you but you can't just but you can't shut them out completely. So okay, so to wrap it all up, I think the biggest takeaway from this, other than hey, if you want to start a SaaS, it's going to take a while. <laughs> um, but the the big takeaway is really about validating the idea first, and you know what you've laid out here, I think is exactly the way to do it. It's exactly the way to do it, in my opinion, where you're. You're risking as little as possible, you know, whatever resource you have to spend, whether it's, a, you know, a few bucks or a few hours, uh, risk as little as possible, find the audience, talk to the audience, find, validate the idea through conversation and then mm-hmm. say, you know, I talked to 10, 15 people, I'm seeing some patterns here. Um, and then, and then sort of validate those patterns. Like a, now it's a hypothesis now. Okay. Now I'm going to test the hypothesis with a bigger group of people. A lot of people are interested, they sign up and you just like, it's like, um, it's sort of like, like a spiral spirals out from the middle. It feels like there's like this cycle and it just keeps getting bigger every time it goes around. 
instead of building like this giant product. And then, and then my most hated phrase in all of software is then trying to find product market fit. Like what do that <laughs> first? If you can't find somebody first that's interested in this idea, how are you going to find them after you spend six months developing it? And like, you can't skip that. You're going to have to do it at some point. Why not do it first instead of last? Yeah. Um, so I might be a little bit contrarian on that because I felt the same until that exact uh, thing I was talking about before with the step change in the graph. I feel like that was product market fit for us. You know, we, th we had a product and we had a market but the market weren't getting the maximum amount of value from it until we found that the problem. Okay. That's a nuance, right? I, I feel like that, that to me, that's what product market fit is. It's like finding the, uh, yeah, the, the exact product and the exact things <laughs> that will actually gel with that market. Okay. Maybe I don't understand the phrase it, to me. That sounds like you, you just improve the product to me, to me, product market fit was always about, um, and I could be wrong about this because I don't really read all that that startup stuff. But to me, it always meant how to position your product so that people understood the value proposition. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, if you look at it that way, then you definitely want to do that straight up. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That is what yeah. you did. Right. And so maybe maybe I just have a, right, maybe I just have like a noob understanding of what the phrase means. <laughs> But okay, cool. Well, I think I, I think this is gonna be very helpful for people who uh, I know loads of software developers are listening. I know loads of them probably have an idea for a SaaS. So you know, you can just, I, I fully agree with the process that Jimmy laid out about the very beginning of content snare. So give it a shot. I mean, I'm all for people building new cool stuff. Uh, I just can't stand the idea of, of you know, that that failure, it's just so demoralizing when you spend all that time, maybe even some money and you create this thing and then just crickets, it's the worst feeling. So you don't want that feeling. So here's, here's a plan to avoid that feeling is to just follow these steps and figure out if anybody cares and then build it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you spend a lot of time in that first stage with the talking to people about their problems, at some point you're going to get a SaaS idea. You know, like that was always our plan for this one. We, you know, there was 15, 20 interviews at the start there. But before that, I always talked to people about their problems. Like that's, that's how we came up with our last software product as well. We saw what people were complaining about or like, uh, so just talking to people at some point, you're going to notice patterns in the things they struggle with, you know, especially if they're in the same industry. Um, that's, I think the biggest thing is just having your ear to the ground trying to find a problem that someone would pay to solve. Perfect. Yeah, that's a great place to leave it. I love that. All right, folks. So, uh, Jimmy, where can people go to find out more about you online? Sure. So, uh, contentsnare.com is the, the product if you want to check that out. And uh, jimmyrose.me is my personal site where I blog about productivity and automation. And there's a YouTube channel there as well if you search for jimmyrose.me on YouTube. Uh, that's kind of where I'm releasing most of my content these days. Great. All right. I hope people go check that out. I'll add links to the show notes. And that's it for this time. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join us again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. 
Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.